that's a growler. Growler Media presents a tale as old as time. One beauty. Is anyone here? One beast. It's forbidden. One minute at a time. Welcome back to Beauty and the Beastly Minute, the podcast where we break down and analyze Beauty and the Beast one minute at a time. Search for Beastly Minute to find it and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcasting app. Wow, something is really different. I'm a growler. Hi, this is John. And Letty. And welcome to another episode of Popcorn and Pickles. Yay! All right. So tonight we're going to be discussing the movie that we saw last night. We saw it at the AMC 24. That was pretty cool. Got to go up into the balcony. That was fun. We saw the Lego Ninjago movie. Yes, we did. Lego Ninjago. She confirms that I'm not lying. All right. (laughs) So, shall we give a little bit of background to this thing? Sure. All right. I know that this is the third of the Lego movies that have come from Warner Brothers Animation. So, the first being the Lego movie, the second being the Lego Batman movie, and now the Lego Ninjago movie. Correct. And before we kind of jump into that, I actually want to go a little bit further into... Lego history. Okay, please do. Please <laughs> at least, do. At least on my end. Enlighten us. I have always loved Legos. Ever since I was little, we had Legos and I played with Legos. We didn't have a ton of Legos. I think you know, we just had a smallish type bin that had random Lego pieces from sets, you know, that of course you never build again. And so I just grew up always having Legos and loving Legos. And even as an adult, uh, as a single adult, I would still buy Legos every now and then if I saw a set that I really felt like I needed to have, then I would purchase them. So I've always enjoyed Legos and love Legos. And now that we have kids of our own, I am always excited to go and purchase Legos because it just gives me a really good reason to buy them now. And usually I get to put together the sets because we have little kids and they really aren't great at following directions. So it's fun because I get to put them together. So I've always had a love of Legos. So when the first Lego movie came out, I was super excited to see that, which, and I thoroughly enjoyed that movie. Then, of course, there was the Batman Lego movie, which we saw as well. And I thought that movie was hilarious. I feel like anyone who loves Batman or Lego, either one, would really enjoy that movie because it was just super funny and made fun of Batman in so many ways, which I really appreciated. And so then there was this movie. I wasn't as excited about this movie just because it was Ninjago and I don't know a ton about Ninjago, but I was excited that it was in the Lego franchise. So I was excited to kind of dive into that. And the only other side note, totally off track, sorry, I'm totally dominating right now. The one thing that I'm disappointed in as far as actual Legos when it comes to Ninjago is the sets themselves. This is kind of a gripe that I've had because when I was a little kid, when you bought Legos, they were not really character or themed specific the way that they are now. You would just buy a bunch of Legos and it was kind of up to you to build stuff. You know, there was a little book that maybe had a few suggestions of things you could build with your Legos, but it was pretty much up to you. And as Lego has evolved, of course, they've themed a lot of these Legos. So most Legos you see now have these big name themes, whether it's Star Wars or Ninjago or Minecraft or I mean, pretty much anything under the sun now 
Lego makes it. And the issue I have with that is the pieces are no longer your standard block pieces. They are these specialty pieces that they created specifically for this set, which is great because it makes the set look awesome. But it's horrible because when the set breaks, and inevitably it does, and you know your kid is never going to, number one, find all the pieces. Number two, never sit down and build that set again. You're stuck with these weird, funny pieces that really are only made for one purpose, which doesn't have anymore. So now you have funky pieces. And Ninjago is the worst culprit, I feel, of all the Lego franchises out there because every single character has these weird wings and you know, they created dragon heads for Ninjago to put on these pieces. Like, you don't build the dragon head. The whole piece is just a head that goes on these dragons. And some of the sets have multiple heads, dragon heads, but that's all you can... I mean, it's just a dragon head. Like, there's nothing creative about that. And so I get frustrated with the Ninjago sets specifically because the pieces are just not useful in any way, shape, or form versus... If you look at Minecraft and those sets, I mean, again, Minecraft is based on an 8-bit show. And so, of course, they can only really use blocks to build it. So it's kind of a natural fit to become a Lego. But needless to say, their sets are all standard block pieces. And when those sets break, I can easily build a new set that almost looks exactly like the old one, even though I'm missing like 20 of the initial pieces because it's just Minecraft. So... I enjoy those sets a lot more. So anyways, that's kind of my side rant about Legos in general, but I apologize. No, no. And ladies and gentlemen, once again, um, I failed to introduce um, our special guest tonight, Wild Style, who will be, as a master builder, complaining about all the Emmets in the world. So, <laughs> Sorry. It's all good. It's all good. So anyways, that's kind of my background, jumping into background with Legos in general and going to Lego Ninjago movie. So but Besides the fact that I do have a beef against the Lego Ninjago sets, building-wise, I do enjoy the movie, so I was, I was excited to see this movie. Well, going into this movie, I'm going to be honest, I was not really that excited. There was one thing that got me excited about this, and that was seeing the trailers and hearing Dave Franco's voice. I don't think that I've seen anything that he's done that I didn't love him in. He's just, I, I just think he's great and so with him playing lloyd that kind of had a draw to me now going into this movie i didn't have a whole lot of expectations but i do have a history with ninjago simply because of my older boys who had the ninjago sets when they first came out i want to say it was back in 2010 or 2011 and then the series uh lego ninjago ran for i want to say either two or three seasons on Cartoon Network. And at one point, I mean, we had a DVR that had every single one of those. And I believe I actually have an external hard drive that has all of those, those episodes as well. Actually, I know I do. But I never watched them. That was the thing. I always kind of looked at it as, uh, it's a kid's show, and I, I never really batted an eye. But I remember... Uh, shortly after we got married, you told me, hey, this is actually a really funny show. So now after seeing this, and I'll talk more about my reaction as the show progresses, but I'm really excited at the idea of going back and watching some of these old episodes. Yes, I did watch one or two of them, and I thought they were done really well. And it's always fun to, for me to see Legos live, Legos in action on TV. I just think the animation and how they do it. I, although I think the show was just a cartoon. It's not the same type of animation as the movie. 
The other thing I want to talk about a little bit of why I feel like I may have a disconnect with Lego Ninjago is because with the first movie, it was broadly the Lego movie. And in the Lego movie, we saw the Ninjago ninjas as well as a host of other characters and, and different properties from uh, different studios and stuff like that. Anyway, I mean, we even saw the Dream Team. Are you kidding me? So in the first Lego movie, it's simply Lego movie. Now, we, the second one is a little bit more of a targeted audience with the Batman. And now, I think this is extremely targeted because Lego Ninjago 1 was always, always catered to boys. And two, people our age, we don't really have an affinity, a built-in affinity as if they release a Lego Star Wars movie. You know, oh yeah, absolutely. Or even a side adventure of Doc Brown and Marty McFly, a side, you know, a a Lego Back to the Future movie. I mean, you'd see a whole bunch of people going to... So with Ninjago, for me, prior to going to the movie, I said, let's just have a good time. But again, I chose this movie. I was excited to see it because it was a kid's movie. And I really, again, I feel like it had to impress me. It, it definitely had to impress me. So I wasn't, I wasn't going in unbiased. It was already climbing uphill going in. Okay. And I think you made some really good points there. I hadn't really thought about those things, but you are completely correct in saying all that, at least in my opinion. Thank you. I'm right. I'm right. <laughs> Let's talk about the plot a little bit. Can you kind of briefly tell us about that? Hold, hold on. I'm going to write this down in my journal. I am right. But, uh, right. This is the first time in the marriage, so hold on. I'm just kidding. Okay, what was your question? Plot. Plot. Plot is basically this. We have Ninjago. Going into this, I had no idea what Ninjago was. I didn't know. I, th- I thought it was the style of martial arts they were doing, and apparently it's the name of the city. Am I right? Yes. Okay. So I guess Spinjitzu is their style, but Ninjago is the name of the city. And so we've got Lego Ninjago as a city that is constantly under threat, as most great cities are, like Metropolis and Gotham (laughs) City, constantly under threat by maniacal people who want to take over the world. In this case, we have Lord Garmadon and his antithesis, depending on your perspective, I don't want to say who's good, who's bad. You know, that, that's, again, that, that, that gets dicey. But you've got these guys that think they're doing good, and they're fighting and keeping Lord Garmadon from turning Ninjago into a full-on all-day party. So, again, you know, it, it, it's hard for me to say who's good and who's bad. But on the other side, we've got different colored Ninjago. Okay, so you've got this group of ninjas similar to Voltron. And so as Lord Garmadon creates a new weapon and tries to take over the city, the uh, ninjas of Spinjitzu fight these guys off and they're the heroes of the city. So it is us joining them at a particular point in time where Garmadon is once again trying to take over the city. And it's kind of, you know, this is the normal thing. This happens all the time, and it's pretty well established, wouldn't you say? Yes, I agree. I thought it was surprising because I kind of 
knew a little bit of the story just based on at least what I seen in the cartoon. And I don't know if this is how it is in the TV show as well, but I thought it was interesting that they made them high school students. I didn't realize that that was going to be part of it. I guess I just assumed they were young adults. And so the fact that they were in high school and it was Lloyd's birthday and he was turning 16. Right. He was turning 16. So I was like, oh, they were a little bit younger than I expected. So it made it more fun that they were still in high school. We got to see some of that aspect of them in their quote unquote normal lives. Right. I think in the TV show, if I remember correctly, they were in high school. I believe so. At least in the first season, I want to say I remember like high school scenes and settings. So high schoolers by day, ninjas by night. One of the things I really like about this in, in the comedic view that this film took in particular is very similar to a, a canceled TV show that we watched a couple episodes of on NBC last season called Powerless. In Powerless, you had a group of people who were working. I think they were in Gotham City. I, I don't remember what I, I want to say. It was one of the cities. And they were an insurance company that handled claims against the city for things that happened during battles between superheroes and and villains. And so what I really liked about the take that Ninjago took was as Lloyd's mother is bidding him adieu for the day and he's going to school, she's saying, oh, if Lord Garmadon should attack again, be sure to duck and cover, you know, so it's a, it's a normal thing. And so that to me is very funny. I agree. So we we start off the show with kind of setting up this estranged relationship between Lloyd Garmadon and Lord Garmadon. Now again, I don't I don't know the total backstory of Lord Garmadon, but my understanding is it's very similar to that of uh, Darth Vader. There was a lot of humor in this as well, and also a nod to the Lego Ninjago TV show as the ringtone of Lloyd's cell phone as it's ringing is the little Ninjago, Ninjago, Ninjago song. So that was humorous as it was his dad calling him. So he knows who Lloyd is as Lloyd is his son. Everybody knows that Lloyd is Gramadon's son, but nobody knows that Lloyd is also the Green Ninja. So a lot of Lloyd's childhood and growing up is being the son of the bad guy whom everybody hates and as a result everybody hates him as well in so much that there's even songs written about how they hate lloyd so much boo lloyd and boo lloyd the remix yes <laughs> Both um, hit number one which of course we quickly see the flip side of that when he becomes the green ninja and everybody absolutely loves the green ninja so lloyd has been put in this very difficult situation of growing up as a teenager with nobody liking you in your real life. But then when you turn into your ninja self, everybody likes him and he's this big hero, but he can't tell anybody, even his mother. Yeah, I thought that was fantastic. And uh, I have a a special place in my heart. I'm a dad, so I mean, what can I say? But I have a special place in my heart for movies that address father-son relationships. I always think they're great. And so just starting this off, there was just so much comedy and just, really that played well in the estranged relationship that just made it something that's so sad, really, really funny. I mean, we're talking about 
a dad who's like, oh, yeah, last time I saw you, you, you had no hair and no teeth. I mean, uh, what would I want? I, why would I want that? You know, and so it's really, really funny. Um, let's jump into the characters or at least the voice actors. I first want to talk about Jackie Chan because he's actually the first big name person that we see kind of a little prequel as a real character before it jumps into the animation portion. That's something that we should address because it didn't start off with animation. It actually starts off with normal 2D real life people. Yes. So the first time you see Jackie Chan is when he's pulling off this super crazy stunt of catching all these bowls as they're flying through the air. And you're like, oh, it's Jackie Chan. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about that scene. This scene, to set the stage, we have a, a young boy, a little bit of longer hair. Just kind of, you can tell that he doesn't have the most self-esteem, wanders into, I want to call it a magician shop, because there are shops like this, I've been in them, maybe you've been in them, I don't know, but they have the strangest of artifacts there. If I have any knocks against the movie, it's going to have to do with this, just because I didn't think that kid was a great actor. <laughs> There, there's an opening scene in the movie Gremlins where the dad goes into a similar shop and you've got the old Asian man. And I love that Jackie Chan loved, kept talking about how old he was. You have the old Asian man. He's got the strange artifacts and he finds the mogwai, right? So in Gremlins, it was just this eerie kind of creepy thing, but that sets the tone. In The Sorcerer's Apprentice, it was more of a kid's movie. So it wasn't as dark. So I feel like they could, I just feel like they could have tuned that scene better. That's just, the last, I, I, I thought it closed really well with that. But opening it, I, I just felt like it could have been fine-tuned a little bit more. So going back to Jackie Chan, what did you think about his performance? Um, since we saw him, he was the only person that we got to see in real life as a real actor. But I was surprised, pleasantly surprised, to find he was also the voice of Sensei Wu once you jump into the animation portion of the film. Yes, and I did know that going in. And so I enjoy Jackie Chan. I, I've loved Jackie Chan since I was a kid. One of the things I love about him is that he seems so fun. Now, I'm going to talk about him in general. He doesn't seem to get old. He just seems to get funnier. I don't know what it is, but this guy, he and Sylvester Stallone, these guys seem to have found like the fountain of youth. I don't know what it is. Anyway, so you've got Jackie Chan, and he's done the voice of Monkey in the Kung Fu Panda movies, but here he's more prominently featured. And I just thought it worked so well because Jackie often plays with comedy. It comes so natural to him. Yes, I agree. He never really takes himself too seriously. You won't find him in a lot of super serious movies. He likes to do things that are more fun. And sometimes they don't do great in the box office either because they're kind of cheesy movies that people see. But I thought for this, he was a great fit. And I have to talk about this. Another reason why I love Jackie Chan is because when they did the reboot of The Karate Kid, I, I have a great affinity for the movie. I had, have had personal experience with Mr. Miyagi, Pat Morita himself. And so... There's a special place in my heart with, for that movie. So I was able to take the new Karate Kid separately, but Jackie Chan was so great in that movie as well, playing serious. So, sorry, I just can't stop singing his praises. I mean, he was so, so perfect for this role. I agree. One of the things that I thought was really cool 
about Sensei Wu is that often he is spouting off great universal and eternal truths. If you'll actually listen to what he says, where he talks about everything is consciousness, everything is energy, he's saying some really, really deep stuff, esoteric, and it's just flying over the kids' heads. And it's supposed to because these kids aren't supposed to start questioning these things until after they've enjoyed their time as warriors. Because if you think about it, masters are simply warriors with nothing to prove. And so as Jackie Chan is spouting off these eternal truths, one of the things that really made me laugh hard was when he pulled out his book. And it just cracked me up. And the reason it cracked me up was because, one, it's going to play well because it's funny. Oh, here's a guy who wrote a book and he's trying to sell it to you. So it's going to play for laughs to the audience. But this is why I was laughing about this. It's interesting because if you look at the great masters in time, and we'll just talk about martial arts here, they themselves do not ascend to the level of master in somebody else's style. You can't because so long as you are in and studying somebody else's style, you are studying under the authority of that person. Therefore, that person is always higher than you. So when a master finds a warrior who's then ready for the peaceful warrior journey, he sends him on his way on a journey of self which is always the greatest stories anyway. And they're told to write down everything because the journal is where all of the secrets of the universe are revealed by the masters. So all of the yogis of the past, all of the mystics, all of the prophets, everyone couldn't wait till these guys died so they could get their hands on their journals because... The stuff that they did was legendary. So I thought that was really funny that they played on that. Because let me throw out Bruce Lee just for a second. Bruce Lee himself, he was taken so differently because at such a young age, he stepped out of Kung Fu and invented Jeet Kune Do, which was his own style. Because again, as a master, he realized that he had to create his own in order to realize himself as a master or a creator of a style. So really funny that they played the book for laughs. And uh, later on in the, in the movie, uh, Garmadon does the same thing because he himself is a master and he's selling his book too. That was really funny. Let's talk about Dave Franco as Lloyd, Lloyd Ramadan. He was perfect. He was awesome. I mean, his voice just... It, There were several times, I'm just going to be honest, that I was moved to tears in this movie. And a lot had to do with the voice. Because you can hear pain in his voice. And then I started laughing at myself because I'm tearing up at this performance where I'm just getting a voice and computer animation of a Lego. I'm bawling my eyes. Well, not bawling. I mean, I wasn't sobbing. But, you know, tears are welling, welling up in my eyes. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. But I mean, to elicit that kind of emotional response from me requires a good performance. So I think it also has to do with me as a viewer being in tune with, with what they were going to be doing. So I'm glad that I went in. Yes, it had to prove itself, but I'm glad that I went in with an open mind. But knowing Dave Franco was going to be in again was the draw for it for me. Interesting. Okay. 
I didn't know any of the voice actors before we went in. So everyone was a surprise. I feel like I recognize some of the voices. Uh, once you pointed it out to me, I definitely recognized Camille Najim. Yes, because we have. <laughs> okay, I got it. <laughs> because we just watched him in the movie The Big Sick, which we haven't talked about on this podcast, but we did watch it semi recently, and we thoroughly enjoyed that movie. Fantastic. And his voice is very distinct, and he had some great—not a ton of lines, but some really awesome, funny lines in this movie. I, I close my eyes and I could see him delivering these lines and he has such an incredible deadpan delivery, you know, and again, having seen this guy on Silicon Valley, that was the first time I saw him. I said to myself, this dude is going to be a star. This guy is going to be huge. So it's nice because once again, I feel good about myself because whether I'm picking American Idol winners or whatever, I'm like. I picked that guy just like I did in um, Knocked Up with, uh, again, can't remember his name, but I was like, that guy's going to get his own movie. What do you think about Lord Garmadon? Let me talk about him, Justin Thoreau. Now, watching the previews, I said to myself, wow, really? They got Will Arnett to do this? Will Arnett, who does the voice of Lego Batman. And here's one other knock that this movie has. Justin Thoreau was awesome. Fantastic. But the whole time, he sounded like and acted like, from my perspective, Lego Batman. I mean, it was, it was Lego Batman. And it was how Lego Batman would act if he had a kid. And so I just felt like while it worked and it was really funny, as a performer, I don't know Justin Thoreau. I've seen a couple of movies he's been in, and I know that he's dating Jennifer Aniston, and that's about it. So. I kind of he, he kind of called it in as a copycat performance. My perspective. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's an interesting perspective. I'd be curious to know how true it is. Can you see what I mean, though? He sounds like it. He acts just like Batman would if he had a kid. Yes, I'm curious if that was more of a decision that came about writing. You know, as they were writing it, they're like, we want this to be similar to, you know, the Batman type of character. Or if as a performer, he went in and just said, oh, I'm going to pretend like I'm Batman and deliver all my lines that way. Right. Another thing to question is maybe the character was somewhat already established by the TV show. And who knows? Maybe Will Arnett took his from Lord Garment on from the TV show. So I don't know. But the performances side by side, I think the most audiences would not know that that wasn't Lego Batman. They would think that that was the same dude. Interesting. Is there anyone else you wanted to talk about specifically? There was a lot of other voice actors, obviously, with the other ninjas, but they had so few lines. I mean, I'm sure they were all great, but it wasn't really anything notable, in my opinion. Do you want to talk specifically about the plot and Lloyd's journey of self-discovery and understanding what green meant as far as the elements? Because I thought that was really deep. Having studied martial arts, I mean, that was really cool. I'd like to hit on that. Go ahead. Well, so here we've got... Sensei Wu, who is, I guess at this point, he's assigning different elements to the individuals of Ninjago. He was explaining their colors because they all had specific colors already and they just didn't realize, I guess, what the origins of those colors were. They just had specific right. colors and it kind of correlated with their dragon that they were, or whatever weapon oh, okay, that they okay. were riding was a specific color as well, corresponding with that. And I think that that's all they really considered. But 
now Sensei Wu is telling them it's more than just your color assignment and this is the background. Right, right. So this is kind of like, it made me think of the last Airbender series where you've got earth movers, airbenders, water movers, waterbenders, and that kind of thing. So you've got fire element, earth element, water element, electricity, because dude was like zapping people, lightning. And I remember Lloyd's was green and he was so disappointed. And he was just like, what, what, wait, what? And he said, green. And he said, uh, like, uh, really? And so even at the end, when they reveal green, and I'm, spoiler alert, green represents life, and life is in everything. I thought that that was really interesting, simply because, according to gurus, spiritualists, different things that I've read, many people do believe that consciousness or life itself is the basis of existence. And so the green, that's in everything. Esoteric thoughts, but really cool that they brought it into this kid's story. And mind-blowing to me as Sensei Wu, and, and the, the storylines and the, the information that is being given, these are like deep, deep universal truths. I mean, it's really, really cool that they dress it up and they teach it straight to kids. Let's talk about the music a little bit. We kind of mentioned it before, but as John said, the Lego movie music is always so fun. It's so happy. You know, everything is awesome. I don't know the words to the Lego Ninjago opening song, but I know when it started, it was, and I thought, okay, here we go. And then it went and I just thought, okay, I'm going along for the ride. And it was, again, one of these everything is awesome type songs or happy type songs or just can't can't stop the feeling type songs and it's just catchy not catchy enough that i know it right off the top of my head but we were listening to it prior to starting the recording and it's very catchy yes the music was fun i wish i had more to say about the music because i i did enjoy it but i don't have a lot of knowledge behind the music in this film some of the music that really played well for laughs is the Flute playing by Sensei Wu. Oh, yes, that was awesome. He had a pretty good performance of Welcome to the Jungle. <laughs> there was a few songs that he would play on the flute, which, and I was curious, as one of them is a reference to Annie. It's a hard knock life. Yes. Yeah. How many, I know they rebooted Annie recently, but even with the reboot, I'm thinking, how many people even know, you know, as a kid, like as our kids watching this, would they even know what that song is and what the lyrics were without them? And of course, they did sing it later on. They actually played it so you could hear the lyrics. But when he was first doing it on the flute, I just was laughing because at first, of course, I recognized it immediately. And I just thought it was so funny that that's what he was, the humor behind what he was doing. They're like, kids aren't going to get this because they don't know what this song is. But I love that they put it in there because me as, you know, a over 30 year old, I remember the original Annie and that's forever ingrained in my head, the soundtrack. Well, I think that's funny because I'm going to reveal a little secret to you that you probably don't know about me. I've never seen that movie. And the only reason I know that song is because of a Jay-Z rap song. And I found out that he sampled the soundtrack of A Hard Knock Life from the Annie soundtrack. And I thought, oh, that was an Annie. I, to this day, I've still not seen any version of Annie. <laughs> and by contrast, Annie, the soundtrack, was the one and only record that I remember owning, not me specifically, but our family owned as a child. And we played it 
over and over and over again on our little bitty record player. So like, like wow. I said, I know the soundtrack very, wow. very well. And I've seen the movie several times also, but not as often as I've heard the music. So that song was extremely familiar to me. So, but anyways, I just thought it was really funny. Wow. Well, you're just making me feel bad because I, I mean, I thought I was poor as a kid and I can tell you a story of when I was sick in second grade and my dad brought me the Footloose soundtrack album home. And I mean, we, we had a cabinet with albums in it and you're saying your family had one Whoa. album. I feel awful. I, oh my gosh. Well, we may have had more albums, but I only remember that <laughs> okay, one. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure we probably had more. Maybe. We need to ask your dad. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to talk about the visuals. I wish I knew more about it. But just the way they've animated these films from the original Lego movie is just brilliant. It's really the only word I can think of to describe it between whoever thought of, hey, let's do some form of stop motion. Because I do think it's based on actual Lego pieces that they somehow then animate to move and to talk. Um, So the faces and everything and just the combination of those two technologies coming together in such a creative way. It still, to me, is mind-blowing when I'm watching these scenes, especially the action scenes, where the pieces are flying together to create something or being destroyed and flying apart. I mean, there's just so much going on. And you think like every single little piece, and it's doing something. So I wish I knew how much of that was animation, how much of that was stop motion and the ratio there. But regardless of what it is, I can appreciate it. And I just think it's a really fantastic display. Well, what's so beautiful about it is kind of the symphony of images that it really is, or symphony of movement, I'll say, that creates the image. And I say that because I'm going to close my eyes for a second. If any part of this universe moves, you see a block moving or you see the Lego pieces, something moves. And so if you see a boat or something coming out of the water, the water itself is Lego. Every now and again, they had some real water, but most of the time, it's Lego. When the clouds are moving, you're seeing Lego clouds moving. Air is Lego clouds. And and so it's fascinating because you can see everything. And I really think that the animators reward people who go back and rewatch these because obviously your eyes are going to be drawn to the central point of action within the scene. But when you break from that, and Every now and again, I would do that during the movie, as I did last night. You would see things in the background, little things played for comedy. Mm-hmm. And it's just great. And one of the scenes they did that in the, uh, the original Lego movie was when they went into the prison and they had all the good guys. And there was just so many characters. And if you go back and you watch, there are so many interactions going on in the background. And so... That's one of the reasons why I really appreciate and love the visuals of the Legos, Lego movies, is because you see everything move. It's a symphony of movement. Yes. I feel like this movie had, would you say it had more action than the previous two movies? Absolutely. With all the fighting scenes and things exploding. and Sometimes you don't know where to look. Yes. Yes. That was kind of my only complaint, was just there was so much going on, but I'm sure you know, watching it again, or we were, you know, a normal distance from the screen. So I'm curious, you know, being so close, you're kind of focused in on one thing versus if you kind of take a step back, you may be able to see more of what's going on. And maybe that would help clarify. Plus, we were watching it in 3D. So I feel like a lot of that probably got lost in the 3D-ism as well, that I wasn't able to 
I mean, there was just the action scenes were so fast. There were so many Lego pieces moving. I wanted to see what everything was doing. And of course, it was too quick for my brain to comprehend everything. Well, we should definitely go back and watch it. I, I'm down to watch any of the Lego movies anytime. Well, from there, we can go ahead and jump into our overall. Let's do our dislikes first, since I feel like that's going to be a shorter list. Okay, I think I've already mentioned mine. Let's see. We had the the opening scene. I felt like it could have been played a little bit better, a little bit more fine-tuned. Um, it felt a little hokey to me. Um, Justin Theroux's performance being a little too similar to uh, Will Arnett's Lego Batman. I really think that's those are the only drawbacks that I had. Never at any point during this movie that I think, oh, what time is it? Or I'm getting bored. Or... This thing is not working for me. It, it was hitting on all cylinders for me. My one complaint, and this kind of goes back to the visuals, is while the Lego animation and everything was fantastic, when they bring in, and I don't want to give anything away, but when they bring in an object who's the bad guy who is not a Lego bad guy. It's, the ultimate weapon. Yes. When they bring in the ultimate weapon, it's not a Lego piece, and so... The way that they brought it in, it just looked very fake a lot of the times. And so that was kind of disappointing to me because I could see the flaws there in trying to make this thing that's a human thing work in the Lego world, I felt like didn't work so well sometimes visually. I see where you're coming from, but I believe that that was simply an artistic decision. And let me tell you why. If you remember when they made reference to the ultimate weapon... It went to that crazy, quick-cut YouTube. And then you saw something that just looked weird in, in that reality. So I think that was a creative choice that they did that. Because no question, if they wanted to make it look photorealistic, they could. The technology is there, and I'm sure it wouldn't be difficult. I really think that it was artistically done. Mm, that's interesting, because it did seem to have kind of a haze around it almost at times. But you, do you see what I mean, though, when, with, with the whole whenever they talked about the ultimate or the ultimate, ultimate Yeah, that weapon? was weird, too, that whole, because that was another point where it wasn't Lego animation now. All of a sudden, it was like real... Quick YouTube cuts. Yeah, it was and, like a video YouTube video. Right, and that, again, this is for boys, because our boys would die seeing that and as I did. As you say, maybe it was done on purpose. I thought the story was great. I didn't feel like they had any holes. I thought the backstory of Coco, that's uh, Lloyd's mom and Lord Garmadon, that was just fantastic. I mean, one of the other things I want to, I just want to hit on this. I know you're, you're thinking about things that you didn't like, and I'm going to talk about things I like. I really appreciated that they took Lord Garmadon one and they showed him that he just wanted to party all the time. That, that, that's all he was doing. He wanted to have people party all the time. And granted, he had some people that he could have fired a little bit more kindly in the past. He had a good heart. He just had different intentions than other people. And so I just felt that this movie really humanized the bad guy. Because obviously, again, Lord Garmadon is going to play as a bad guy. But when he pitches the idea to Lloyd, the same idea that Vader pitched to Luke, join me and we can rule, do this together. You've, I mean, you've got two dudes having a father-son moment. Vader, he could have worked on his presentation. I mean, you just cut the kid's hand off. You're chasing him down this scaffolding and he's about to fall. 
probably not the best time to, you know, say, hey, join me. But Lloyd, he got his invitation from his father when they were having a really special moment. And you can see how Lord Garmadon was like, yeah, this will be great. I mean, this will be so awesome. But it didn't go with perceptions, intentions that Lloyd had. And so I just thought that it was really cool how they humanized Lord Garmadon. I would agree with that. This is interesting because, and I bring this up as a point, because in a lot of the father-son movies that I've seen in the past, okay, I've referenced Star Wars, it's just a completely different kind of presentation or different type of story. You know, with Marlin and Nemo, great father-son story. I mean, tearjerker all the way for me. But, I mean, you've got this guy who's scared, who's apprehensive about everything. And in this, you've got this bad guy who's really, really kind of cool. And he's just into doing what makes him happy. What's so wrong with that, you know? (laughs) I mean, he straight up says, I would have been a terrible father. So, you know, you're welcome that I wasn't there. If I had any other complaint about the movie, it would be that overall, while I did not have any issues with the storyline, it was fairly predictable. I mean, you kind of knew from the beginning how it was probably going to end. So I don't feel like there was a lot of surprises. There was a few little pieces here and there. I didn't think they did anything crazy with the storyline. They kind of stuck to traditional, this is what works when it comes to like bad guys and good guys or father and son like relationships. So I, I didn't feel like there was any big surprises. although. I thoroughly enjoyed how they told that story. It was, you know, a little bit different take. Obviously, this is Ninjago, you know, the whole ninjas and everything else. And infused with as much humor as they did, I would say overall, I thoroughly enjoyed the movie. You know what? Now, now that I say this, I don't know. I didn't think this at the time that we saw this, but it just popped into my head as you were talking. I really wonder, because of the way the movie ended, I really wonder if they have the idea of making a live-action Ninjago movie by the way it ended. Because of the way it ended, you've got the little boy who you see is the personification of Lloyd, and you hear Jackie Chan, who's Sensei Wu, who says, training starts tomorrow. And it's like, whoa. And just suddenly I got the idea of, I mean, when I was a kid, the three ninjas came out, and I thought, wow, they could really do something really good with a live-action Ninjago. I think it'd be cool. That would be interesting. It'd probably be better than the Power Rangers, a movie that we recently saw. That, oh, yeah. Oh, Don't see the awful, Power Rangers. Awful. We're not even... Let's stop talking about it. Why? Why did we waste our time? Oh, it was so bad. Going back to our overall likes, I thoroughly enjoyed overall the comedy of this movie. Storyline was great. The animation was great. I, I mean, I enjoyed all aspects, but my most favorite parts were the humor that was almost in every single scene, I would say, because it's a kid movie, so it's supposed to be funny. But a lot of the humor, as John and I were discussing it right after we saw the movie, I mean, there was lots of kids in the theater that were there, and they were not laughing half as much as John and I were laughing because there was so much adult humor, or maybe we were just in more in tune. I don't, I don't know. But there was humor, obviously, that the kids laughed at too. But for us, it just seems so much more fun. Well, I think it's funny because I know I have a distinct laugh that tends to carry in the theater and when i'm the only one laughing or at least the only one laughing out loud i quit worrying about it but i did think that it was funny because when 
There was bathroom humor. Oh my goodness. There were a couple of kids that just lost their minds. And I'm not talking chuckling. I mean, really, ah, I'm cackling like hyenas, which I thought was super cute. And then uh, early in the movie, and uh, we talked about this last night as we were driving, there was a scene, and you already talked about it, but um, Lloyd is awakened by his phone, and his phone's ringtone is the Ninjago theme song from the TV show. And there was a guy in the theater who just started cracking up, and someone else in the theater went, shh, and I thought, oh, goodness, I might get shushed a lot tonight. <laughs> Nobody ever shushed me, but uh, I think you're right. I think we were just in tune with it. Because I didn't notice a lot of other adults laughing, but we were definitely laughing. Maybe the other adults were just drugged there by their kids and they weren't too excited about watching it in the first place. Who knows? They were probably thinking about work or the drink they were going to have when they got home. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, anything else you want to talk about before we move on to the rating? No, let's just go ahead and rate this thing. Okay, you go first. All right, I'm I, psh, 10 out of 10. Hit it all cylinders. I'm just going to say this. It, I think it would be really cool now that I've thought of it that they make a live action in the spirit of the three ninjas, a live action Ninjago movie with Jackie Chan playing Sensei Wu and you've got these teenagers. I think it would be absolutely fantastic. At the end, I thought it was funny because I quickly took off my glasses. I have my glasses plus 3D glasses on while I'm watching this. And when Jackie Chan's voice says training starts in the morning, it just took me back to hearing that same thing when I started my training in Taekwondo and it just gave me the chills and I just started, I mean, tears just started welling up in my eyes and I thought, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And it was really cool. So I identified with it. I was familiar with it because of my kids and I ended up absolutely loving the movie as a whole. The things I didn't like, I can easily dismiss and still give this thing a solid 10. What about you? Well, I have a hard time giving out 10s because I feel like it has to be you know, perfect on all aspects. So no movie exists then that's a 10, right? I mean, well, I haven't, found, going, I haven't oh, found my 10 yet. So. haven't found perfection yet. That's right. why I say 10 is in the moment for me. <laughs> but I would give it a nine for sure. I was going to say nine. You're withholding. Eight and a half. <laughs> Elitist. She yes. doesn't want to give anyone a 10. But again, I look at these movies based on every movie I go into. You know, if you're going in to see a comedy, you expect to laugh. If you go in to see a suspenseful movie, you expect to be like on the edge of your seat. And so I don't expect a movie to be something that it clearly isn't. And when I look at the scores given on Rotten Tomatoes, I feel like so often that is the case. If it's not a movie that appeals to everybody and everybody doesn't relate to it, then it gets a poor score versus a movie. I mean, why can't you just see the movie for what it is? This is a great kids movie. It was funny. They put adult humor in there too. So you're not going to be totally bored if you take your kid to go see this. I just felt like given the parameters of what it was supposed to be, it did an amazing job. So why would you give it a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes anyways? No, I, t I told him, let's, let's hate on the critics for a minute. Let's hate on the haters. <laughs> hate on the hate, which makes it positive, right? Double negatives? Anyway, we were talking about this earlier, and it's definitely something, a great topic of discussion, I think, when it comes to critics. Because one of the things that I said was, okay, 
obviously people went into this and it wasn't their cup of tea. Why can't critics simply say, you know what? Here's the deal. I don't have any kids, so I don't buy Legos or this story didn't resonate with me because I have no connection to Ninjago. I've never even heard of it. You know, because these hoity-toity movie critics, most of them are really sad, lonely men. I mean, let's be honest. That, that's what sad, lonely 50-plus-year-old men or really, really young millennial elitists that have gone to Ivy League schools that think they're better than everyone else. So anyway, having said that, why can't they just simply say, not going to review it, didn't resonate with me, and allow reviews to simply be written by people like me or you who found enjoyment? So we can say, this is why I love this movie. Because you get somebody who goes into this where for whatever reason, it's not resonating. Maybe it maybe hits too close to home. Maybe the, the critic has a bad relationship with their father. And so this elicited some negative baggage that caused the need to disconnect. I'm telling you why people don't like this movie. So as a result, in their need to disconnect from something that is so near and dear to their hearts that they don't want to admit, they create reasons why they hate the movie. And so that's what it is. It's probably people who have daddy issues that are hating on the movie. Yes. Well, and I did say it was the storyline was predictable, but it's a kid movie. You know, you can't put complex plots in a kid movie. You know what kind of got me was as I looked around, how few dads were in the theater with the kids. I saw lots of moms with kids, and one could assume that they're single moms, and I'm, I'm probably right, given where we were in, in, in my assessment, but fascinating to me that this was talking about dads and sons, and there were so many kids in there that at least didn't have their dad present. Yeah, I think that would be hard, too. And now that you mention that, if you went in as a kid and there was such a strong dad theme and your dad's either not available at all, so you're exactly like Lloyd with no dad at all. Maybe not exactly because he's probably not terrorizing the city every day. But or, or some of these dads who have been demonized by these kids' moms and you know all they think is of their dad is Lord Garmadon. Your dad is the evilest bad guy in the world. Yeah, but I think that's hard. It reminds me of when Finding Dory came out and some of the negative talk about that from parents was, you know, don't take your kids to see it if they're adopted or, yes. you know, because, you because Dory was trying to find her parents. And so many of these kids want to find their parents and want wow. to find, you know, so anyone who's... People are scared. They feel threatened. Anyone who's been abandoned or, you know, they would say these things that it addresses is really hard for kids who are going through this, some similar situation. But if you use that as your ruler, when you go to make a movie, what am I not going to talk about? You know, I can't talk about these issues because some kid might be sensitive to it. You're not going to talk about anything. Right. And, and the only parents that are doing that are adoptive parents who feel threatened that their adoptive children are going to start loving them less and loving someone more because they can't understand that children just love unconditionally. But no, I, I feel you. And so it is interesting because I love that these movies do deal with such heavy topics because they bring so much light to it and they really present it in such a palatable way. It's good to the taste. We can watch The Cider House Rules or we can watch a movie like this. Which would you rather watch? You know, I mean, come on. Yes, I agree. A couple of things I did want to mention because I was curious. 
all the voice actors and actresses in the movie are not correlated with the TV show, as is the storyline. So apparently from our research, the storyline of the Ninjago movie has nothing to do with the Ninjago TV show. They're kind of same basic idea, basic, you know, beginnings or whatever, but... Whole new story, whole new canon. Correct. So no correlations. You can watch this movie without having seen the TV show. I am curious, though, how a 10-year-old who's heavily invested in Ninjago has watched every single episode, how much they enjoyed the movie, just from a pure Ninjago standpoint, if they felt like, oh, this is a really cool, different take on this story, or if they absolutely hated the portrayal of these characters, which they've already grown to love. So I'd be curious to hear from a... If you're a 10-year-old and you love Ninjago, I'm curious to see what your <laughs> take is on the movie. I have uh, some access to expert, I was going to say expert witnesses, but <laughs> <laughs> we're not in a court of law right now. I think I know some a couple that I can talk to. It'll be interesting because I'm actually going to Skype with them tomorrow to find out, one, if, let's see, these guys are 15, 13, and 10 grew up loving Ninjago. I mean, I know at one point we had every Ninjago set. The pieces are in baskets now. (laughs) But it'll be interesting for me to ask them if they've seen Ninjago and to see what kind of reaction. Does Joseph think now that he's 15, oh, I'm too cool? Or does he look back at it as, oh, finally they got a movie and this is so awesome. You know, so it'll be interesting to see what kind of reaction the boys had. And if they have seen it, ask them. What do you think compared to the TV show? Well, that's all great, but that's not going to be on this podcast. Well, it won't be on the podcast, but I'll (laughs) I'll definitely uh, find out for myself because I'm very interested to know. Here's another thing to throw out. The information that we sought as far as finding out where this fit in the storyline and finding out that it is a standalone movie, as well as that none of the actors uh, were the same in the TV versus the film. We found out from YouTube videos that were done by kids. Okay, so... Let's talk about recommendations real quick. I would say, personally, this movie is probably good for anybody. Is there any group of people that you would say would not enjoy this movie? Because I think overall, it's an everybody type of film. It's tough. I've never been a little girl, at least according to my recollection. (laughs) And so I don't know how a little girl would look at this. And when I say a little girl, I mean any girl. I don't know how this would resonate with a girl as far as a teenage girl, I can see teenage girls and women in general, I feel like they can identify with father-son stories just because they have fathers and they have brothers and they can relate and be like, oh, whereas mother-daughter stories, very rarely do you see guys that are like, oh, and so I feel like this appeals to everyone. I just don't know if it would appeal too much to girls. Yeah, I actually had the same thought. I was like, okay, would an eight or nine-year-old girl unless they love Legos or Ninjago already be excited about this movie or want to see this movie. I think a lot of it is simply going to have to do with preconceived expectations and perceptions and what they like and what they don't like, simply because I thought my boys would love Frozen, but that they would have a hard time accepting it, knowing that it was a princess story. Same thing with Tangled. Took them kicking and screaming to Tangled, came out loving it. Same thing with Frozen. And so I think that any girl who is looking to be entertained would probably love it. There is one girl ninja, but she's not really featured a ton. The only other thing I want to talk about before we wrap this up is movie previews. And I say that plurally, but really it's just singular. (laughs) 
we were late coming into the movie theater and the only preview that I really remember, which is really the only one I wanted to see anyways, was for Coco. Oh, yes, yes. This was an extended trailer, I think, or at least we saw scenes that I had never seen before. Correct. I am so pumped. Kind of helps that, you know, my wife is Mexican and I can kind of relate and, and, you know, I just think it looks fantastic. Yes. So we're super excited about seeing Coco. Probably be our next kid-ish movie that we see in the theaters. For sure. One we got to take the fam to. Final thoughts? Take them on a Tuesday early in the morning so we get to cheap. That's my final thought. <laughs> on Coco. Uh, final thoughts. I thought it was great. Lego Ninjago movie. Double thumbs up for me. Plus two thumb toes because I have like big toes. So four thumbs up for me. And tonight, tell us about your energy. My energy was brought to you by an ultraviolet monster and two pixie sticks and a bite of a, what kind of donut was that? What was the, the, the pink frosting donut? Because I, I, I took two bites of that and it was phenomenal. Pink sprinkles? Oh, I, I mean, it has pink frosting and it has, you know, multicolored sprinkles. So anyway, you don't know what flavor it is? I don't think it was a flavor. I think it was just pink with sprinkles. Okay, well, it was, it was awesome. So, yeah, that's where my energy is coming from. I had a few of the munchkins, as they call them, because donut holes is apparently already taken. So we can't call them donut holes. Anna likes to call them donut circles, but they're donut holes. Munchkins from Dunkin' Donuts. The blueberry cake ones are my favorite. So I got some donut holes supplemented by fruit snacks. Cool. Topic of discussion. Let's not end. I want to throw this out to you. How accepting do you think you would be? How open would you be to the idea of the Lego movie brand branching out? So now we've seen it in Ninjago, but obviously they've got Lego Star Wars TV series. Those really haven't drawn me in, but I I haven't paid them a whole lot of attention. But if they did a Lego Back to the Future movie or a Lego... Jurassic World movie. Is that something that you would be open to? Would you go see it? They've got so many different properties that they can extend out to. Ghostbusters. So many different side stories and adventures. I would love to see Back to the Future. Lego Back to the Future and seeing more adventures of of Doc and Marty. That's hard because I tend to enjoy original stories a little bit more than just revamping old stuff. And so I don't know, unless it was a series that I especially loved, which at this time, I can't think of any that I was like, ooh, I have to have to. Well, I guess if they did something Harry Potter, I would feel that way. That see, that was one that I thought of. They, I mean, they could do, obviously, they could use different actors, but they could tell so many Harry Potter stories through Lego Harry Potter. So many adventures. One of the things that I was thinking of, again, was the Back to the Future. How cool would it be to get Michael J. Fox is, you know, doing the voice and Christopher Lloyd doing Doc Brown? I mean, obviously, Doc and Woody had more adventures telling new stories just in a different format. I think it'd be great because you couldn't get Michael J. Fox and Doc to do it now. I mean, you know, with Michael J. Fox being sick. But imagine if they were able to bring it in Lego. I think it'd be awesome. I would watch it because it's Lego. It would be fun to watch. But I guess I have a hard time thinking of Lego progressing a storyline that was originally set up by humans. 
versus so far Batman. Well, the Batman Batman's different though. Batman was turned into a movie. It's originally a comic book. So its original roots are animation. Okay, are we debating source now? <laughs> like source yes, that's what I'm saying. Here? Like we're talking about source material. So the original source material of Batman is animation through comics, correct? Okay. So yes. it's already an, a universe that's been so expanded and revamped and this and this and that. It's not basing its whole being on an iconic movie like Back to the Future is. There's no Back to the Future comic books. I mean, it was the movie first, and then it was, you know, these other things that have more from that, perhaps. But do you see what I'm saying? Ninjago okay. is its own universe, so they're able to do whatever, and it's based initially in Lego World anyways. Then Batman, like I said, it's kind of based in animation. The Lego movie was originally stemmed just from everything Lego. And so that's kind of my only hang-up in that. But of course I would see it. I'm sure I would enjoy it. But I just would find a hard time because it is mostly comedy and not a lot of serious storyline. You know, I don't know. It would be funny, I'm sure. Well, can you really say not a lot of serious? I mean, that was heavy, heavy themes, emotional themes dealt with. It was counterbalanced. I think it was equal. I don't. I, I wouldn't say there wasn't a heavy. I think it was an extremely heavy storyline. And, and granted, it was predictable because it was your typical hero's journey or you know discovery of I am the master. I am the green ninja. You know, I'm self whatever. But I just think that it's just a different type of presentation. It's a different type of animation. And I, for me, I would take it hands down because I think that. With that, and because it's seen as a little more childlike, you get to do things that you wouldn't get to in, in other things. Like, Zach Galifianakis playing the Joker and the whole thing with Batman saying, you don't complete me. I mean, and the Joker, like, being brokenhearted. I mean, that, that's not, you're not going to see that in a live-action Batman movie. But it works in Lego. So, I, again, I just feel like it gives them a freedom to explore so much more with other properties and i'm totally open to going to see any lego the way it's presented is refreshing well that is going to wrap it up for us on this episode of popcorn and pickles you can find us on facebook pretty much only we do have the growler media website that we don't check that often but it is checked every now and then so you, you can find us through growler media there's a lot of other podcasts on the growler media website if you want to check out some more podcasts that are fun to listen to, you can go there. Just to close out, I, and, and I just want to say goodbye to all of our listeners. Thanks for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Hopefully we brought a smile to your face and uh, brightened up your day. I want to figure out something closing to say, because recently I've been listening to classic uh, Casey Kasem, American Top 40s. And in the end, he always says, keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. So I got to come up with something. So in the meantime, we're just going to say toodaloo. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>